0: Uh, my name is Eric, and I serve as the Director of Liturgy and Family Worship here at First City, and it is truly an honor um, for me to open up God's Word with you this morning. And so today we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 29, and I want to invite you, if you would, to, um, to have your Bibles in front of you and be following along as we work our way through the text. But before we dive into the text, I want to ask you a few questions. Do you feel at peace this morning? Would you describe your general disposition as calm, secure, grounded, free of worry? Or do these words more often come to mind or maybe even come out in conversation? Anxious, fearful, uncertain, worried, stressed out? Do you often worry about your finances or how the bills are gonna get paid? Are you anxious about how your kids are gonna turn out? Do you fear for the future and what tragedies, unexpected tragedies may come? Are the demands of your job sending you into panic and make you feel regularly stressed out? Do you find yourself frequently worrying about what's going on in the world with all the wars, political strife, viruses, inflation, atomic threats, on and on and on, right? Then if that describes you, then you may be one of the 40% of all Americans who feel more anxious today than they did just a year ago. And some of you may be even thinking, man, I feel more anxious just listening to you rattle off all those questions. And if you can relate to any of those, which I certainly can, my next question is, where do you go to make the chaos stop? I can't read your mind, but I can scroll through some of my own tricks for calming the anxiety, and I can tell you what some people around me do. We come up with a master plan of how to create a more peaceful environment around us. How? by decluttering and organizing our home. We think, if I can just get to the mountains or to this peaceful, calm place, like a lake or a river with my favorite book, or maybe I escape into a substance that temporarily turns off that noise just for a little bit. We work overtime to, fear, to, to ease our fear of lack. We read all the parenting books that will guarantee that our kids turn out as Jesus-loving, educated, well-mannered, socially-adjusted human beings, right? Maybe that will bring peace. We dive into the latest breathing and mindset techniques. We download the Calm app. You guys know this one? Yeah. And while none of these activities are wrong in themselves, don't you find that at the end of the day, despite your best efforts, the tips and techniques can never quite cure the cancer. They can never quite bring lasting peace. And so we come to the 29th Psalm, and we learn that true peace comes not by focusing on our circumstances or even changing our circumstances, but it is the result of worshiping, standing more and more in awe Of a strong and glorious God. And so, my hope this morning is that we would see God as more powerful and more glorious than we ever imagined. And as a result, we would experience greater peace in our lives. And so, please open up to Psalm 29. It's divided into three sections. In verses one and two, David puts out a call to worship God because of his great glory and strength. In the next section, verses 3 through 10, he draws us into this tangible manifestation of God's glory in nature. And in the final section, we see God as a sovereign king who uses his strength to bless his people with peace. So let's follow along. Let's begin with the call to worship, verses 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. So David's call is to ascribe something to the Lord here, right? But before we look at what that something is, we probably better understand what the word ascribe means. It's not one that we often use today, is it? So the word ascribe, according to the Oxford Dictionary, it's to attribute to. It means acknowledging this quality is rightfully and fully yours. And it's also to say our worship of you is fueled and impassioned by the reality that you have this quality. So that's what it is to ascribe. But what are we to ascribe to the Lord? Two things, glory and strength. I think we're all familiar with the word strength, with this idea, the power to accomplish. There is nothing that our God cannot do. But what about this word glory? Okay, we use this word all the time in church and maybe in conversation with our Christian friends, but I think we're sometimes guilty. I know I certainly can be guilty of throwing out cliches or Christian-sounding terms without really even understanding what, I'm, what we're saying, right? But it's absolutely <laughs> worth understanding this word glory. And so it comes from the Hebrew word kavod and it literally means heavy or weight. It's when a thing takes up space in this significant and important way. In a general sense, it's the gravity of a person's reputation or their honor that they have. It's almost this aura that surrounds someone of great significance, like when a king or a president of of stature, when he steps into the room, everybody knows it, right? Everybody feels it, and the atmosphere sort of changes. It's this person is carrying great kavod, great glory. I really like how Presbyterian pastor Aaron Messner described glory to a group of elementary kids. He said this, okay, kids, I want you to imagine the thing that most impresses you, that most inspires you, the thing in life that is almost too exciting for words, but it makes you just want to stop and say, wow. That is glory. And God is the ultimate source of wow. It's a memorable way that even a kid can get, right? So David calls in verses 1 and 2 to worship God for his great glory and power. And we spend a little bit of time understanding the meaning of each of those words, but if you're like me... Words in the abstract can sometimes feel a little bit like out of reach or devoid of meaning, right? If there isn't something tangible in the physical world that parallels a word's meaning, then it quickly becomes religious jargon to me. I don't know, is anybody else like that? Yes. And for me, the word glory was just that until I turned 21. And I decided one day to go for a run in between my college classes. Now, I knew that the forecast called for rain, okay? But since it was just sprinkling as I started out, you know, I figured a little water never hurt anybody, right? So I started off on my run, and I looked up, and off to the west was this towering black wall of clouds. It was growing bigger, and it was growing closer by the second. And in that moment, there was this sense of fear, and at the same time, wonder that just surged up in my chest, And I admit that while a part of me really thought it'd be safer back in the gym, I was also drawn to it, right? There was something in it that was just calling to me, and so I shifted course, due west. Soon, the light sprinkle, it turned into this downpour. Now, I was in a farming community, and so there were grain bins all around me, and as the rain beat down on those bins, the sheer volume of what sounded like a thousand horses galloping at full speed on all sides was just overwhelming to me. Within minutes, the water level had risen up to my ankles. Another 10 minutes, and this flash flood, this excuse me, this flash flood had risen up to my knees. And by this point, the streets had been cleared of all people, of all cars, vehicles, And I felt, honestly, like this tiny speck that was just being swallowed up in this massive black storm, fiercer than anyone I'd experienced before. Well, the flashes of lightning, they were intense. The thunder, it was deafening. It was like I could feel each strike in my body. The downpour didn't let up, and I kid you not, as I neared the end of my run, as I trudged on, the water was above my waist and I was literally swimming through the street. It was, it was as unreal as it sounds, right? And I remember crawling up the embankment to the gym out, out of this street-turned river, looking and feeling like a drowned rat. It was an experience I will never, ever forget. And so later on, as I tried to put into words this experience in my journal, I wrote down something to this effect, that the power of God and his glory had taken on a whole new meaning for me. I mean, if this passing storm was produced by the hand of God, how much more glorious and powerful and consequential the God behind it. So these were, these were descriptions now of God that I would feel down in my bones after that. And no doubt, all of you living here in the Midwest, each of you have a few thunderstorm stories to tell of your own, right? Right? And so I wonder if David had a similar experience that testified to the glory of God. And now he wants to invite you, he wants to invite us into that very visceral encounter where God shows his power in creation as the God who thunders. And so we're going to read verses 3 to 10, but to set it up just a little bit, I want you to imagine that David is sitting there on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea as this drama in nature is about to unfold. And off in the distance, he sees this storm, and it's brewing. And, this, and in the storm, he sees the Lord. He sees this king of glory. And, and this king, as any king does, exercises his sovereign rule through his word, or his voice. The voice of the Lord Right? It's used seven times, and it's referring to the power of God as expressed in nature. And so let's follow this storm as it begins to take shape over Israel's Mediterranean Sea. Starting in verse 3. The voice of the Lord is above the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord above the vast water. The voice of the Lord in power. The voice of the Lord in splendor. Now, the imagery of the waters brings to mind Genesis 1, when the Spirit is hovering above the water. Do you remember this? And then with the power of his voice, God speaks and the world comes into existence, unmatched power. But the waters also brings to mind something else. So to the ancient Jew, the waters weren't actually typically a very peaceful image, but they were associated with chaos, with disorder, with destruction, with death, trouble. For example, Psalm 69. This may be familiar to you. David's overwhelmed. He's crying out to God. and This is what he says. Save me, O God, for the waters have risen to my neck. I have sunk in deep mud and there's no footing. I've come into deep water and the flood sweeps over me. But notice here in Psalm 29... The voice of the Lord is above these troubled waters. So not only powerful, but supreme over chaos and disorder. And our awe just deepens as we move along. Verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. So this storm, it's moved from the water to the great forests of Lebanon, a forest full of mighty and strong trees. And the sheer voice, the sheer force of his voice, it knocks him down, and it causes these thick branches just to burst into a thousand pieces across the land, all with simply his voice. Now, maybe the the trees of Lebanon's forest, maybe those can be toppled, but surely not the mighty mountains, right? What greater symbol of strength do we have on this earth? Than the immovable, unshakable, impenetrable mountains. And yet the storm moves east in their direction. Look at verse six. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, and Syrian like a young wild ox. So scholars point out that the, this use of Lebanon likely refers to the great mountain of that region, and that Syrian, a little further to the east, is synonymous with Mount Hermon. So his power and his glory, they hit the mountain with so much force that it might as well be this helpless little animal scurrying off before its power. Verse 7, it continues on, The voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire. So David is so awed at the power of God that he can only compare it to one of the most potent of natural phenomena, the 300 million volts produced in the moment of a lightning strike. And if you have ever had the honor and perhaps the terror of witnessing one of the, this amazing event, it will stay with you forever. Am I right? I remember as a kid one night when a, a lightning bolt struck the cornfield across the street. And I could have mis- you could have mistaken it for a bomb. The entire neighborhood just froze like it was momentarily stuck in the flash of a giant camera. It was incredible. The voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire. Are you beginning to see? These aren't just religious-sounding words or empty metaphors, but these point to a who that is far greater, that is far more glorious than even the most potent source of power on earth. This is our glorious God. Look at verse 8. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The storm is now moving to southern Israel, to the vast and the barren deserts of Kadesh. And the merciless, uh, this merciless land, it trembles before God's voice. And so do you see what's, what's happening here in, these, in this passage? This storm is progressively taking on and toppling each of the elements of nature that ancient Canaanite readers would have ascribed significance and weight to, some even worshiping them as gods. And yet none are able to stand before the glory of the one true God, the Lord, Yahweh. And in fact, doesn't it seem significant that the voice of the Lord would come as a storm when one of the primary gods of the Canaanite people that that, that surrounded Israel was Baal, The God of the storm. See, this is an affront. This is an affront on all competing gods to show that there is none like the Lord. Verse 9. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the woodlands bare. Okay, how many of you think that feels a little random? Anybody, when you read that, a little bit out of place? Am I the only one? I was reading that. I was like, what does this mean? <laughs> so I thought so too. That was a little random. Until my wife reminded me that on the night of our, that our second daughter was born, it was storming outside. And one of the nurses told us that more babies are always born on stormy nights. So I guess there's more than one way to, to kickstart that process, I guess. So okay, but in all seriousness, right? <laughs> What seems like a randomly placed image of a deer giving birth, it actually brings us to greater awe at this God. The voice of this mighty, thunderous God also brings forth the fragile, delicate life of a deer in the middle of a storm. The Lord has both the power to take life and He has the power to give life. He is sovereign over all of it. And after such an unforgettable display of power, splendor, and glory, David says, he says that the response to this is an eruption of praise. Because in case that word was empty religious jargon to you before, how can it be anymore as the people gather from all around into the temple of our great God and all cry, glory, glory? I love the way that this same pastor, Pastor Aaron Messner, he he comments on this verse and he says, As the Lord plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm, the people of God fall to their knees and they cry, Wow! Worthy is the Lord. Weighty is the Lord. Significant is the Lord. Wow! Glory! And may that out be our response today. Verse 10, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned, King forever. And so, uh, friends, I, the next time that you find yourself face-to-face with a mighty Midwestern storm, face-to-face with, with the majestic mountains of Colorado, on the edge of this vast, arid desert, or maybe the next time you witness the birth of an animal or of a child, let them serve as little glories that point you to the God behind each one. Let them provoke you to awe and wonder at the glory of God that's being manifested right before your eyes. Did you think about that when you're seeing these things? Give thanks and honor to God Because in that moment, you get a glimpse into what the angels sing about around the throne when they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that's just a glimpse. That's just a glimpse of it. But I'm telling you, it will change the way you see everything in the natural world. God's glory is manifest in the storm and it calls us to be in awe and worship the creator who made and also who sustains it. The world will just come alive to you with majesty and with wonder and the beauty of God as he reorients the awe of our hearts towards him and towards his glory. And so I hope that's one thing we take away from this passage in Psalm 29. So listen, if Psalm 29 ended right there, with verse 10, with this epic account of the glory of God in the storm, he would be fully deserving of our worship. He's the creator of everything. He can give, and he can take away life. But the psalm doesn't end there. And the text actually takes somewhat of a surprising turn. Read with me verse 11. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people With peace. You see, God is not just some impersonal force that's only to be feared and to be held up in great awe for his power, but he's a personal God who has chosen a people for himself. He's a God who gives generously, he's a God who blesses freely. God's glory is far greater than just in the way he shows his power in and over nature. And so we read the Lord blesses his people with peace, but how exactly does God do that? How does he use his strength to bless his people with peace? Now we have to read it through the mind of the original audience first, right? The people of David's time, they could see glimpses of the way that God had blessed them with peace. God chooses their father Abraham. He saves Noah and his family from the flood. He delivered them from slavery in Egypt. God had given these great victories to King David, and they enjoyed seasons of rest and seasons of peace from their enemies. But listen, all of these are mere shadows, and they were pointing ahead to a day when God's power exercised on behalf of his people would be put on fire, Display, and it was in his promised Messiah, Jesus. So, 2,000 years after this psalm was written, a baby boy was born that the prophets claimed would be the king of Israel. And yet, this baby was not born in the palace of a king. This baby didn't have any earthly resemblance to glory or majesty. In fact, he worked a commoner's job. He ate common people's food. He spoke in the commoner's language. And yet, with each of his acts, he revealed more and more who God is in all of his glory. Hebrews 1.3 says this of Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Is this starting to sound familiar to Psalm 29? Perhaps it wasn't glory as the world expected, but it was a glory far greater than we ever could have imagined. Because it was the voice of Jesus that commanded the wind and the waves to be still, and they obeyed him showing his power over the forces of nature. It was the voice of Jesus that called a paralytic to pick up his mat and to walk. And the man got up, showing Christ's power over sickness and over disease. It was the voice of Jesus that commanded the demon to flee from a man who had been oppressed by him his whole life, showing Christ's power over evil. It was the voice of Jesus that called Lazarus to come out of the grave, and he came out, showing Christ's power over death. In all of these acts, Jesus displayed the greatness and the glory of God, all for people's good, all to bring freedom and healing to the oppressed. God is far more than a faceless storm of might, but he is a compassionate and a gracious king, who exercises his strength on behalf of his people. But church, Jesus displayed his glory and his power in no greater way than this. Romans 5 says that we were enemies of God. Because of our sin, in defiance of his holy character, there was no way for us to be in his presence of this holy God and to live In fact, the only consequence, the only just consequence of our sin was punishment. You see, the storm of Psalm 29 is actually a really terrifying thing if that storm is not on your side. And the Bible says that we put ourselves at enmity with God because of our rejection of Him. The wages of sin is death separation from God, from the source of all life. But Jesus, he willingly and in love, he went to the cross for our sins. And on his back, he took those sins upon himself. He took the punishment that our sins deserved. And when he died, our sins died with him. And when he rose again, we were given access to new life. We were forgiven and set free forever from the power of sin. And in this most powerful and glorious act, we who were enemies of God were actually made his friends. This was the peace that Psalm 29 points us to. Peace with God forever. This is the gospel and it shows the full strength of God that God is strong enough to forgive you and he's strong enough to forgive me. The glory of God is not an abstract idea, but it gets very, very personal at the cross. In his death and his resurrection, Jesus showed his power over sin and death and hell, and it's before this glorious king that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, before whom all of creation will one day cry, Wow! Glory, that's who this is pointing us to. In Psalm 29, it summons us to worship the Lord for his great act of creation and his great act of reconciliation. And it's something to worship him about this morning, amen? And so I pray, I pray that a resounding yes, amen, God is worthy of my worship. is just rising up in you. But maybe you're also wondering what about that whole anxiety-ridden existence we talked about earlier? What about that? (laughs) Anybody wondering that? The bills still have to be paid. My kids' future, it's still unknown. The relational conflict is still causing me a lot of angst. My job is still stressful. And the first thing I want to say is, I get it, I understand, I have wrestled with anxiety for a good portion of my life, and it can feel really debilitating, and the truth is I hurt for those in here who have been crippled by fear, and who have been crippled and paralyzed by anxiety. It's a really heavy weight that you carry, especially if it seems that you carry it alone or in the dark. And nobody sees, and nobody understands what you're going through. But I want to assure you that the message of Psalm 29 actually is good news for the anxious heart. And here's kind of what I mean. I want you to imagine a child who wakes up in the middle of the night. He's scared, anxious, just had a nightmare. He's full of, of worry. Every shadow is another unknown. Behind every creaking noise is another what if, right? And that kid can't even get out of bed to start looking for solutions. But no matter How frightening the night is, everything changes when the door swings open and standing there in the doorway is daddy's strong and capable form. And he comes over and he wraps his arm around that child and he says, Don't worry, I've got you. And none of the things that scared that child have gone away it's still dark. The shadows and the noises in the night, they're still there. But suddenly those things don't matter nearly as much as the fact that my daddy who is strong, my daddy who is for me, is here right now. Because friends, what could be better news than knowing that the God who controls the elements of nature is the same God who is with you. He's the same God who's for you. And if you've trusted Christ, if you've trusted Him for the forgiveness of your sins, then you have been given peace with God. And if you have peace with God, then the Mighty One of Psalm 29 that we just heard about, He's for you. This doesn't mean we ignore the problems. But when our first course of action Is to fixate and to ruminate on them. We're in essence ascribing strength to them. We're ascribing glory and weight and significance and importance to the very things that are often out of our control and causing us the greatest angst. And so I know how it goes. We focus on it, we mull over it, and the fear truly becomes magnified in our vision and in our heart, and its power just seems to grow. But when our first course of action is to worship God for who he is in his power and his strength, his capability, his provision, his track record of faithfulness, when we rehearse the powerful acts of God in creation, we remember and we stand in awe of his greatest act of reconciliation, sending Jesus, then our confidence in God grows deeper And our fear begins, little by little, to lose its grip. And this is why Psalm 29 calls us to ascribe to the Lord the glory and power due His name. When fear begins creeping in, we're so tempted to give it power by standing in awe of it, by magnifying its significance and essentially saying, this situation has ultimate power over my future. But God is saying, and perhaps to you this morning, you are giving weight and significance to one who is unworthy of it. So look up to me, the one who created the heaven and the earth, the one who has the power over the storm, power over sickness and disease, power over evil, power over death itself, power to forgive you of your sins. Listen to his voice. This says, if I clothe the the lilies of the field, will I not clothe you? If I feed the birds of the air, will I not feed you? So come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Ascribe to me the glory and power that is due my name, and I will give you rest. As you look to the Lord in awe and recognition and gratitude at his sovereign authority over all of creation, over all of history, over your history, little by little, by his grace, the anxiety begins to lose its power as it's crowded out by a new and more glorious vision of a capable God who loves you, who cares for you, who's proven his faithfulness time and time again to you. And so may we lift our eyes to see and worship our mighty God as he truly is. And may we be in awe that he has exercised his strength on behalf of his people, on our behalf to bring us peace with himself. And when you wake up tomorrow morning and all the worries and the anxieties of the day are ringing in your head, which they're sure to do. May the words of this great hymn ring even louder. Fear not, I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed. For I am your God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. So would you pray with me?